Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back again to the Material Devolution Podcast, your place for ranting, raving, and hopefully learning a thing or two about this crazy world we're living in. I'm here with my uh, co-host extraordinaire, savant, Matt Walter. How you doing, sir? You left out esteemed colleague. You know, I'm going to change up what I say about you every time. It might not be so favorable <laughs> the next time I introduce you, buddy. So, there my you esteemed colleague. Very esteemed, more esteemed than myself. Here I am, and we are at the uh, new Studio 39 for uh, Material Devolution Podcast number 20. That's right, Studio 39. It's getting set up right now. It's a little, a little bare, but it's going to come together. And next thing you know, you know, we'll be, we'll be killing it. Yes, if we weren't already, which we were. Yes. Well, so we'll continue killing it. We'll kill it in the bare bones studio, but then we're just going to go to the next level when it's the professional. There you go. Speaking of killing it, you know who makes a killing off of other people? Who's that? College. Colleges. Getting money from athletes who sometimes can't buy a cheeseburger. Yeah, the, uh, the proliferation of money in college sports and how this relates to the student-athlete relationship is kind of going to be our uh, topic du jour of the day. So let's call it a exploration of the exploitation of the college athlete because this is something that's been prevalent in the news more recently actually. There's a, uh, a film coming out next year called Workhorses I believe is the working title and it's going to basically be about how colleges are exploiting football players for financial gain and from what I've read it's like Aaron Rodgers is like gonna make a cameo they've got like Ray Lewis is one of the financers like 75 different pro former or current football players are somehow involved in this project so you know there's obviously a lot of support so it's a really really interesting topic I read through it in detail you know we've always known for a while Matt that you know at least in modern times Schools have been making a tremendous amount of money off of athletics, whether it's the bowl games, whether it's the TV contracts, whether it's the concessions, whether it's the endorsements. There is a huge structure in place for colleges to make a lot of money on their flagship programs, which tend to be football first, basketball second. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely it. And I mean, if you kind of watch any college sports, you understand the fervor and the just the attention paid to college football is just amazing for an amateur sport. I mean, it's unprecedented, probably in the world. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was interesting because when you think about college sports, people are almost loyal to the school. They're not really loyal to the players, per se. You right. I mean? It doesn't matter who's in the jersey. It's the jersey, right? That's, exactly. that's what one of the articles said. You know, it doesn't really matter the player. They don't follow the player. They just say, I love Michigan, right? Exactly. So that's one way they try to kind of devalue you as an athlete because they're like, listen, you're just a nameless face in a number. We don't even put the name on the back of your jersey because we don't want you to have any individuality. It's about the school. The professional level, at least you get your name on the back of the jersey and then you're getting a percentage of the jersey sales. They're like, you know, you're an individual. We get to like credit you and get you the credit you deserve for it 
you said, well, the slip side is in college, they'd be like, well, at least we're giving you exposure. You know, you wouldn't have this opportunity to play football or basketball on the national stage, right? Right. And, and they can also make the argument that, you know, we're preparing you for the future and the future is a professional career in something and you are still honing your skills in order to uh, reach that level. Yeah, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of arguments made about why the current state of student-athlete relationships with the schools are okay. You know, that some would call them justifications. You might call it a devil's uh, bargain. But these range from that the cost of schooling is incredibly expensive and student-athletes don't have to come out of college in debt typically. And that's one of the benefits. Another is, you know, there's a lot of non-monetized benefits of college, right? You know, you're socialized in this environment. You're able to network. You get, you know, enculturized. There's also the high-quality facilities you wouldn't get otherwise, right? You get these really high-level coaches, facilities, right. trainers, strength and conditioning coaches. You wouldn't have those elsewhere unless you paid a lot for them. So there are these fringe benefits to it. But the problem is when these fringe benefits are touted as being an exclusive idea. Because we talk about here on the podcast that two things can be true at once. So all those things we said are entirely true. The athletes do benefit in a variety of ways from that. But at the same time, are the benefits equal to what they're bringing in financially? So that's where we kind of get down the slippery slope. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think no one could argue that the college environment for an athlete is ideal. Um, you have obviously you have responsibilities in regards to classes and 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 training and, and going to class and student and studying and, and, and whatever else. How much <laughs> each student athlete is uh, demanded of, of that, like the, to do that is, is questionable, right? Yes. Uh, we've all heard stories of underwater basket weaving, right? For the basketball team or yes. something crazy like this. Um, and that's obviously, uh, just kind of a metaphor for any easy class. Um, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, but you know, it is ideal for the student athlete. You do have high level facilities, you have high level coaching, you have, um, everything that you need to be maintained, uh, physically, but, the ends is still to have this, this, this put on this show to bring in tons and tons of money. We're talking about tens of million dollars annually to these institutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where is that money going? Because education continues to rise in America as far as the cost of education as well. So what are they doing? But they're dumping it back into these facilities in order to perpetuate this cycle of maintaining these athletes to generate revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you asked the right question there, Matt. You asked, where does the money go? And we've actually found where the money goes. And, you know, it's not too surprising. The money's going to the administrators and the coaches. I think the statistic was... Doesn't Saban make like $7.5 million? Nick Saban's the top coach, uh, you know, top paid college coach. He makes $5.4 million a year. And they say that there's 50 schools that pay their coaches more than $2 million a year as of 2013. So that might have even gone up. Mm -hmm. So usually the highest paid employee at any school is the football coach. But guess what? This goes down like through the whole administrative thing because guess who the other next highest paid person typically is? The athletic director. They found that nine of these schools, the athletic directors earn more than a million dollars each. And it was topped by uh, by Vanderbilt, David Williams, who earned 3.2 million. And guess who gets it after that? The university president, because he hired them 
and they're bringing money into the school. So now he can justify a $500,000 million a year salary as the president. So everyone's getting paid except for the athlete who's putting his life on the line in the case of college football, or maybe just his quality of life on the line in sports like, let's say, soccer or basketball, where maybe the, you know, soccer actually has a lot of concussions and that goes underreported. But I think when people think injuries in soccer and basketball, you think of like people tearing their knees, yeah, falling on your arm weird, foot injury, something like that, where it's like, you know, you're going to have arthritis in your knees later in life. You might be walking with a limp. There's, there's a lot of risks playing basketball. There really are. It's really bad for your legs. But football is obviously the one where when you see people separated from consciousness, basically every minute or two, you're thinking like, wow. <laughs> Where, where's really the payoff for the brain damage you're receiving? Am I or right? anything that you have to wear that many pads to play? I mean, it's just a given, right? You're like, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're gonna get brain damage, you should put this get, armor on. If you're, you're gonna get there. brain damage, you gotta give me a little something more than like, hey, you get a free, uh, you know, geography class, right? And here's a ten by ten foot room. Enjoy. Now let this three hundred pound uh, Neanderthal run into you at full speed about seventeen times in a row each Sunday or Saturday. You know, it's college Saturday. Well, I think that here's the thing. In the large population of, of college athletes are not the athletes that are are college football players. So we, we want to specifically talk about college football because it is the biggest generator of revenue in proportion to overall revenue of these schools. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely when you, you know, look at it, it's like... Like, like if a school owns, earns like $170 million total in total that year football would probably be 70 80 million dollars of that i would assume um and i'm looking at it here and it yeah that, that's not a far seems, off seems, estimate from the biggest correct. schools i mean like the biggest basketball schools i read that like north carolina brought in like 21 million a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. duke brought in like 27 million right and that's for basketball, for basketball. you know for, but those schools are known more for basketball than football if you look at like Alabama. Right, but they're not the or, Alabamas, the LSU, Florida, the Auburns, the, the Florida, SEC, the Florida States, right? Yeah, the so USC. These, are the, these are the schools that we're talking about. And when you when you when you drill down though, it gets even worse because the not only the students getting a free education, but he's not really getting an education because they're padding the stats. Well, I mean, that's like a dual problem because it, it is the student's fault to a degree, because it's like that's why you should be going there. You shouldn't be going there with the mindset of I'm gonna be a professional athlete. But that's kind of like the subtle dark current of the story. I don't think it's so subtle anymore. Well, I mean, I, I don't you think that like most of these football players, like that's the end game. It's not the school. They're just there. It's a formality. It's the next step. There is nothing else. I mean, maybe there's a semi-pro pro football. Maybe there's a CFL. They could go there, but they get much more exposure at the college level, and so they can perpetuate this money making like well, the, the ca- cycle. The carrot on the stick is that you could go pro. And whether or not you're, you know, a top-level recruit who's a number one draft pick in the future, or you're just a good player who was able to luck his way into getting a scholarship, from the top to the bottom, every one of those guys wants to be a professional. They yeah. love the game. Even if you're not that good, if you're able to play at that level, you dream of making it to the pros. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the sacrifice you're willing to make where you're like, well, they're giving me a chance to show my talents, and I can prove that I deserve to go pro. So they're giving me this platform. So basically they're exploiting my love of the game. You know what I mean? Because who doesn't dream of reaching the pinnacle of whatever they love doing? Right. So that's how you're exploiting the college athlete's dream. All at the expense of the fact that they're incurring all of the physical risk. You know, your program might lose money, though they never do. 
but the athletes are guaranteed to tear their knees, get concussions, you know, surgeries and injuries all over your body. I mean, specifically football, but like I said, we're seeing with basketball. Soccer's pretty big at some schools, like in Portland and stuff like that. I mean, if you're going to be making money off the sport, if it's profitable, there's no reason you shouldn't be kicking that back to the athletes. Like, we're not going to say the women's volleyball team, you know, they deserve to be getting, you know, $50,000 yearly salaries. Well, here's the thing. You know, because that program, unfortunately, isn't bringing any money. And the risk is very, very low for injury. So it's tough to say it's bringing in no money and there's no risk of injury. We should treat every sport equally. There needs to be some realistic disparity in how we look at that, don't you think? Yes, exactly. And and that's what um, uh, there was a court ruling, I think it was just last year, uh, that actually talked about that, that said um, they could bring suit because they capped um, scholarships at a certain level. A full ride is a full ride is a full ride is a full ride. Right? Well, the demands placed on these athletes isn't the same. You know, college football players, the, 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 the amount of time that they are spending playing football or football-related act- activities has got to be uh, more than some of the other sports, uh, just based on the amount of media coverage and other things that go on, preparations, et cetera, et cetera, bowl games, um, and uh, how long that lasts. So you would think uh, that they would be able to create a system of reimbursement, compensation, that would be equal to the demands placed on you or at least equal to the revenue generated in some way. So I I don't see, you know, most of the time we're talking about these guys that they're coming from a... um, the fact of the matter is, is that some of them come from a, a poorer areas of the of the world, right, of America. They come up through the system. They get a full ride. And, yes, they can go eat at the chow halls or, or this, that, and the other, the cafeterias, yada, yada, right? But those are only open certain times. And where is their spending money coming from? Most people that come to college are from the middle class or upper middle class where their parents can also give them money to live on monthly, um, or they have a job or because they have time to have a, a part-time job waiting tables or something, earning some extra dollars to be able to eat and live and socialize just like every freaking other college student that's there on campus. So you have guys that don't have a lot of money that really don't have money for a freaking cheeseburger because they where else are they going to get their money from? And then they get in trouble if they take even the slightest in gifts, quote, air quotes. Yeah. From a donor, from a booster, right? I mean, at the highest level of athletics, those athletes, if you're really realistically expecting them to go to school, where's their time for a part-time job? They're going to practice five days a week. They're studying film. They're going to school five days a week. It's like literally like you want them to work nights and not sleep so they can be able to pay for gas and eat meals outside of cafeteria hours. Right, and these are highly tuned athletes. I mean, I know we were just talking about eating a cheeseburger, but you're also talking about guys that are putting their bodies through the ringer, so they need to sleep. Oh, of course. That's the best way to uh, to rehabilitate yourself and uh, to um, you know uh, be prepared for the next day, the next challenge, the next effort that you're going to have to do, the next wind sprint, the next bench press, the next whatever. Push that damn sled. you know. And like you said, I mean – it's just you have to figure out a way to create a system that doesn't encourage taking money 
And that's a big problem too. We always talk about this. I mean, we've had Heisman trophies taken. We've had you know this, that, the other scandals national about it. National championships, yada yada. People get banned, you know, for uh, for bad recruiting practices um, for a couple years uh, from bowl bowl games, etc. And um, you know, but but we've created, they've created a system to keep that in place because these guys don't have any recourse. There's no choice. It's a very outdated modality, and I think that's kind of the crux of it is. It's like with most things, most problems, is that there's a system and a structure put in place that's fitting at that time. Like, let's say, a good parallel would be the Electoral College. And then it's become so in tune in how the organization and institutions run that the status quo wants to keep it because they can use that to control things. So the NCAA student-athlete thing is a very old thing. It's like almost 100 years old. Well, guess what? In the 1940s and 50s, this wasn't a multi-billion dollar industry. There weren't these huge TV contracts for bowl games. Players didn't really ever have the opportunity to go and play professional. There wasn't million dollar endorsements. I read, for example, Penn State gets $5 million a year to put Nike on their football uniforms. This didn't happen 50, 60 years ago. So the dynamics of the sport industry were so different back then that the parallel was fair. It's like, hey... We're giving student-athletes a scholarship. We're not really making money from these endeavors. So even if they are, it's very minimal. Is it really like we should be like forcing the, the money to the student-athlete? Like, Is it something they really deserve? It was tougher to make that argument back then. Now the dynamics have changed, but they love to repeat the status quo. I think like they were trying to you know, get this overturned. They were like, doing a legal precedent, trying to set a status quo where they'd have to do some type of compensation. And it was a uh, the chief legal officer of the NCAA. He told the Wall Street June, uh, Journal, "Quote: We frequently hear from student athletes across all sports that they participate to enhance their overall college experience and for the love of the sport, not to be paid." End quote. You know that's a great talking point to parrot. So yeah, redefining the student athlete role is what I think is really critical, just because. The student-athlete role has changed, so it needs to evolve with the times. Just like, you know, the Electoral College is an outdated system for an outdated time. The current student-athlete dynamic that you have to be an amateur who isn't paid is outdated. If you work in a dangerous sport that brings in a large amount of revenue and your risk of injury is high, there should be some sort of financial compensation. Otherwise, you're getting exploited by any basic understanding of economic premises. I find it interesting that the school can be sponsored basically by a clothing line, but none of that gets kicked down to the student at all. Think about how exploitive this is. So, like, Nike pays Penn State $5 million a year to put the logo on the jerseys. If they gave just 20%, a million dollars, to, like, you know, 65 football players on the team, everybody on the football team would get, like, fifteen grand for the year to live off of. And the school would still get to pocket $4 million, 80%, just from that one endorsement. This doesn't include any other endorsements. Revenue from the TV, revenue from jersey sales, revenue from bowl games, tens of millions of dollars. You could just literally be like, here's a slice, tiny little slice of one part of the pie, and they'd probably be doing backflips, they'd be so happy. But it's like, nope. It's got to be for the love of the game. Well, Can't be any money involved. I don't think we should pay them necessarily like a salary. Like the, no football player in college should be like, I get sixty-five grand a year or hundred grand a year. But what if play. there was? What if there was a stipend? What if it was well, like? That's what I mean. What yeah, if there's, we're, we're going to give you, you know, a thousand dollars a month to live off of. That'd yeah, be, that'd no be, problem. That's twelve thousand dollars a year. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like that is completely one hundred percent fair 
to give them that. I, I have no problem with that. None. Zero. It would stop all of this other stuff. At least it would mitigate it. I mean, maybe it won't stop it forever because everybody's going to want to drive a nice car or freaking whatever. And somebody's going to give it to them. That's and the it's allure always of it, be, yeah. Yeah, There's always going to be a lure of somebody taking uh, a bribe or, or, or taking money or, or, you know, hanging out with strippers or whatever's going on. Um, you know, so. And not every player is of equal, equal value. There's an interesting article, which we'll link to in the podcast, where, you know, in economics, they say you're being exploited if you don't get a wage that's equal to the revenue you're bringing in. And in the case of student-athletes, they're basically performing high-revenue-generating sports with a lot of medical risk, specifically football. Mm-hmm. You know, there are injuries, like we said, basketball, soccer. Football is really the crux. That How does it work after money. they're – like, if they get hurt, do you know what's up with the medical? I mean – You know, at, at high-level high facilities, I think, uh, or high, schools that have that type well, of – Well, they – most schools have a medical, like – they have a hospital, right, or like a well, medical. But center. I mean, it's like if you blow your ACL, is the school going to pay for your ACL surgery? I don't know what if you get hurt for like injuries that are going to last a long time? That's like, what I mean, tear like your ACL. Injuries, if you right? tear your ACL, does the school pay for it? I don't know. Well, what's the compensation after you leave school? That's true too. But so, like North Carolina, for example, they generated twenty-one million in revenue between twenty twelve and twenty thirteen. One of the most popular basketball teams in the country. So. You know, their scholarship program, I think, they can give out like 10 or something like that for basketball. And it's an equivalent of like a forty, fifty thousand $50,000 scholarship. So they gave out $400,000 worth of scholarships to a program that generated 20 plus million. So they're paying basically 1% to 2% out. And when you think about it, it's not even a real 1% to 2%. This is like the equivalent of like a hotel giving unrented hotel rooms to disaster relief efforts and then claiming the full value of the hotel as a tax write-off. Well, they're, they're also ne- claiming like, that. You know what I mean, though? It's like they're literally like they're watering down the value because that scholarship, it's worth 40000 to the person who pays for it. Does it cost the school $40,000? Exactly. No. That's exactly what I was going to say. And, yeah, it doesn't cost them that at all. Not even close. You know, so when like hotels in like, let's say like the Louisiana area after Hurricane Katrina, there's a lot of hotels where they gave hotel rooms away to a disaster relief effort. They told, you know, families who lost their homes, you can come stay here. Well, guess what? Big recession in the hotel industry, unfilled rooms. Well, if you give them away for charity purposes, now you can claim a tax exemption on it at the full cost of the room. So you can't rent out this room for $500. You can't. It's been empty for months. Hey, there's a disaster. You guys can stay here for a week. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We're going to claim a $3,500 tax credit on that room that was bringing in $0 the whole time. Yep. So there's always a systematic way to exploit it for your own advantage. And that's really what's most concerning, I think. Especially like with football, because the system's set up in a way where the health of the athlete is basically put at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of importance. Wouldn't you agree? You were a college athlete, so you can probably give me a little insight into this. Well, I mean, I went, I played college soccer. It's a little different of an animal. But I mean, in terms of like, your health was the least important thing. There's a culture, I think, especially in, you know, team sports where play through pain. If you're hurt, don't, oh, yes, don't, don't yes, be a yes. pussy. As, as far as that's concerned, you know, without, without question. Socially I mean, shamed you know, in front of your, your teammates and friends. What, you, aren't, you don't want to win? You don't want to help us out here on the field? You must not care about the team. I mean, everybody, nobody really wanted you to get hurt, right? And obviously, every, that's not what I'm saying. Nobody wants you to get hurt, but I'm happen. just saying... Your health is the least important thing. Winning is the most important thing. 
Yeah, without question. And I'm sure that, you know, obviously the more money that you're generating for the school, the least uh, your health is cared about. Well, I told you a little bit about that HBO Sports special I saw recently where this guy's suing, uh, I forget what school it is, but he's suing them because he has chronic injuries he endured from playing college football. And the team medical director, the team doctor, you know, basically was in collusion with the coach to not let him know that he had these terrible injuries, you know? This guy needed surgeries, and when he went to the doctor, the doctor's like, let's get this checked out after the season. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, it's like, you can just say, oh, that's the doctor, this is unethical, the Hippocratic Oath. Well, guess what? Team doctor's hired by the coach to do a job. And whether or not he tells him this, there's kind of this, you know, we call it the tacit agreement. You know, the coach hires this guy on the premise that, listen, your job is to help us win. Keep my players healthy. Right. You're on the team, right? Keep, keep my players healthy, and if they're injured, do whatever you can to keep them playing. Because my job is contingent on me winning. So now we've got exactly. this, now we've got the system where a guy hurts his knee. He goes, Coach, you know I hurt my knee. Well, the team doctor goes, Look, it's either not that bad, or let's give you a shot of cortisone. And the coach says, Come on, you're ready to play, man. And the shame comes. Don't be a pussy. Don't you care about the team? We're this close to the championship. And you basically shame this guy into risking his health and well-being for an undervalued scholarship that might be nothing but paper classes, like you talked about, underwater basket weaving. Mm-hmm. You know, like what type of education yeah. are most of the top top level I mean, athletes I've, getting? I've heard I've heard stories of friends that have gone to top level universities where the football team uh, would basically show up the first day of class and uh, not be seen until the end and then uh, have a a buddy there helping him take the final uh, in the class Uh, you know and now this is I'm getting this second hand but you know you hear these stories enough and you start to believe them right where there's smoke there's fire it's one of those type of things so what is the education level like uh, that these kids are getting uh, if they're if they're starting on the football team I mean we're not again we're not talking about every single one of these student athletes because like there's disparity I mean like I went to a school in somewhere in North Carolina and uh, played soccer and it was not even close to the same thing as going to LSU and uh, playing Alabama in front of a hundred thousand people millions of people across the world on television. Yeah, how much was your team school soccer program bringing in in terms of financial money? It might, not, have, it might have been a loser. Not the $74 million the University of Texas brought in last year. Exactly. So each one's very unique. And like I said, the ones that bring in the most money and have the most athletic risk, those are the ones that should feel obligated the most to pass some of that money back to the people risking their health and well-being. Because these injuries have lifelong consequences, especially when we're talking about, you know, it's one thing to say you're going to have arthritis. You're going to have, you know, a bad hip, you know. Yeah, but now you're going to have CTE. Exactly. Nobody nobody gets to leave this earth usually, especially if you live a long time, in a perfectly well-conditioned body. If you lived a good life, you're going to break some stuff and, and, and hurt some stuff, and that's part of being alive and what makes it so enjoyable. But ruining your quality of life with CTE, that's serious. Dave Mira, BMX legend, winner of over 20 X game medals. I remember as a kid... I sucked at BMX, but every kid rode a BMX bike. It was fun. And you'd see Dave Mira in the X Games doing, like, tail whips and backflips. You know, this is so awesome. He committed suicide. Didn't he have that gold bike? I'm not sure. He had that, like, gold bike in the uh, in the X Games one time. I mean, absolutely. Like, Dave Mira is, like, the Tony Hawk of BMX riding. He was the one who made it cool when it really was blowing up, you know, these alternative sports. And he committed suicide yesterday at age 41. Wow. Leaving behind, uh, you know, a beautiful wife, beautiful two daughters, 
This guy had business, he had family, he had money, he had friends, he was loved. Why would this guy kill himself? Was it concussions? It's the same parallel as, uh, you know, we're seeing with football players committing suicide. He had a lifelong of horrifying concussions from eating shit. When you're trying backflips and clearing 30-foot lips and landing your bike on top of, you know, basketball yeah. hoops. Oh, yeah. They, they estimate the guys taking, you know, at least two dozen concussions, well, you if think not about more. That, man. I mean, like, you only watch it in the, in, you, know, you know, we only watch the end product. How did it get there to do the tail whip, freaking 900, yeah. kowtow, whatever the hell? And know. they've got, to, and nowadays actually they're way safer. Like if you've seen like the foam pits that Travis Pastrana and those guys practicing, they didn't used to have those. Right, yeah. And even if you do, sometimes you miss the pit. I've seen that before. And, and, and guess what? When you do it live at, at the X Games or on a road show, no pit. there's no pit. Every mistake is something you suffer for. And so this guy's got, you know, a horrible quality of life from this. And, you know, he kills me. And this guy's not playing pro football. He was a, you know, a BMX rider. So it really shows you that CTE is a real thing and it's something to really be concerned about. Oh yeah. So if you're going to float these athletes' lives under the auspice of that, you know, it's for the love of the game, well, you're putting them in a condition where they're basically going to be in either a semi-vegetative state or they might want to kill themselves in the next 20 years, you're really towing the line on ethics and morality when you try to trumpet that talking point to me. It's just, it, it rings hollow. I, yeah, I completely agree with you, especially after I'm looking at this right here. Um, and it says that 64 schools in the five major conferences that made the, the playoffs, like the you know the playoffs of uh, the football playoffs mm-hmm. now. Yeah, the playoff, the bowl game or the actual football playoffs. Yeah, now they have the college football playoffs the instead playoff. of just the, the, BCS, yeah, the national the BCS. championship. And yeah, et cetera. The BCS yeah. ripped me off advertiser championship. Right, exactly. Um in the five major conferences, brought in a combined two point eight billion in revenue last year. Yep, that's why the co- two point eight billion people listen about that. That's insane. That's why coaches are making two million plus, fifty plus of them. You know. Well, there was a stat that I saw a couple years back, and uh, it said that in forty seven states, I believe it was forty seven, somewhere in the mid forties, uh, the highest paid public official was a football coach. Because they're for state schools. But you, that's the thing. It's like tough to argue that because if, well, look the, at the, if the school does become a powerhouse football program, then it makes a ton of money. Right. So the person in charge of that program, it's, it's like the CEO of a corporation, essentially. That's what the football coach is. He is the CEO of the football corporation being I think, run. So I think what we're really getting down to, right, is the proportionality in regards to compensation. The guys that are driving this kind of profit, oh, not to mention that they don't have to pay their players, so they keep, they literally keep about half of all their revenue a- as profit. Half. Could you imagine if a pro f- football team was making... Their margins were 50% on everything? Yeah, they'd be loving life. Loving life, dude. They'd be like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. And so they get to keep it. So what we're talking about now is creating a system to be able to compensate these players, mitigate the the receiving of money from boosters and other outside influences, and also have their quality of life while they're in school be a little bit better. Now, again, we all know that these football players probably get some pretty good – they get taken care of. Let's say it. Let's say right. There, there, there's fringe benefits. Fringe benefits you know, but, of being hey, a, not, a star. Not, not everybody's Cam Newton in college. 
Right. You know what I'm talking about? There's only so many quarterbacks and star wide receivers. There's maybe five guys on any given team that's in a big conference that people give a shit about. Yeah. The other 60 guys are faceless, nameless guys. They get the perks of getting invited to the party and the girls want to hang out with them. And maybe the boosters are kicking them a couple hundred at their part-time job. Right. But they're not getting the free Mercedes lease exactly. for the weekend or the exactly. agent taking them on a, you know, a free holiday to you know, Venice or something like right. that. Right. That's not happening. Right. But there shouldn't be a limit, and they all shouldn't be equal because they're not equal in return. The of return course. is not equal. Maybe back in the day when John Wayne was playing for Harvard, the return was equal for all teams. But that's when Harvard was winning national championships, and they don't anymore. And of course, in that regard too, not every comp- not every athlete would deserve equal compensation. Wouldn't Cam Newton at Auburn deserve more compensation than the backup? snapper or the backup place kicker exactly his stipend would be bigger because because he's bringing more value and he's a more integral Amen. part of the team so the question is how can we set up ways to fairly compensate athletes and we're going to link to this really interesting loyola uh marymount law study where they review this and they offer a lot of really interesting proposals that i think any of or all of which would be a great idea so i'm going to throw them at you matt and you give me your thoughts whether you think this is a good idea and if it could be improved or not okay Go. So the first idea, number one, <laughs> establish a fund for players that they can draw from if they're injured during the sport or while training. So it's you know it's like an injury compensation fund. Like why aren't we pooling some of the money we're making into a pool so that when the guy blows his ACL, we can be like, hey, you blew out your ACL because you're trying to make us money. We're gonna fix your knee. You know that seems like I think like a logical way where we're proving your health and well-being are paramount. We're willing to invest in rehabilitating you if you're injured in earning us money. Seems, yes, seems fair. That makes sense. Makes sense. Yes. Number two, offer graduation bonuses to athletes for completing their degrees in four years. So if somebody's on a scholarship, you know what I mean? Shouldn't we be rewarding them for doing this hard work and proving that they're able to do the workload of being an athlete and a student at the same time, meet those requirements, that sort of thing? It's almost like an incentive for that person to want to do well in school. Like, listen, you don't take classes, you don't graduate in four years, you treat it as a joke. That's cool, you can get your scholarship, but we're not going to give you, you know, like the school made $100 million over the four years you played on the football team. You know, you play for four years on the team, you graduate in four years. Maybe something would be like, hey, we can give you $10,000 a year. Then guess what? But that's held in a fund. You graduate, you got $40,000 waiting for you to help you start your life. Down payment on a house, buy a car, get an apartment, this, that. You know, basically, you've proven your loyalty and your commitment to being a true student athlete in the modern times. And we can easily see 1%, 2% of this money you earn coming back to you to thank you for your time. Yeah, no, that's interesting, actually, because at first when you started asking that question, I was kind of like, mm, I don't know, it sounds like, you know, you're kind of just dangling this carrot out there, and, and you are, and I understand that, uh, but the more that you talked about it and talk about holding it kind of in escrow a little bit. Yeah, the, the, the idea isn't to, like, like you said, you don't want these guys acting like rookies who sign their NFL, you know, contract, they get a $500,000 bonus, and they're like, let's go to the club, pop bottles, get right. a Rolex rent the flashiest car possible, right. do the things that young, testosterone-filled men with money typically do. Yeah, you give it to them in the, in the, at, at that time, and they're going to blow it. So I like the whole idea of holding on to it, giving it a, a, some sort of percentage of the revenue generated over the time that they were there. Um, and it does set them up for success. If school really is to set somebody up for success, if that's the whole reason why we go, and these guys are doing double duty, 
earning you money and doing what they need to do academically? Of course, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And the third one would be pay a living stipend. So oh, this yeah. is like, that's a, don't give them too much money, but no, 500 to $1,000 a month yeah. for, let's say, like, you know, the men's basketball team, if it's a profitable program, right. the men's football, hey, you can give it to the women's volleyball, you can give it to the women's golf team if it's a profitable program. It's a profitable right. program, you deserve a stipend because you're spending your time and energy to make the school money. If the program doesn't make money, well, then you're really spending your time and money to do something you love that costs the school money. Right. So it's not really and they're and they're affording you the opportunity to do so. Exactly. So it's not really fair to ask the school to pay you if you know you go to Joe Blow Community College and you know you get 17 fans who come to watch the you know the lacrosse game. Right. You can't be like, damn it, I deserve my thousand dollar a month stipend <laughs> because I'm a lacrosse player. It's like, guess what, man? Yeah, the, the star of the football team who sells out the 2,000 person stadium every week. He's probably putting his body more at risk, and he's bringing in more money. Yeah, so it's a lot it, of more number one jerseys. You know, it's not that you aren't important, but you do need to look at the economics of the situation. Well, and you know, most of the, most of these teams, um, you know, make that two point eight billion dollars we were talking about, mostly from broadcasting rights and ticket sales. And who do people come to see? The star, the stars, man. They, they to go the to see the Cam Newtons of the world. It's true. You're not who I hope win the Super Bowl tomorrow. You're not just a faceless name Down because of like me. pro sports. It's kind of like a primer. Or who's going to make it to the next level. Right. You want to see who the next big yeah, thing is. That's what it's about, right? Yeah. You see that guy. I saw him play in college. Like he was, you know, yeah. And he, he lit it up. You should have seen Reggie Bush in college. This guy was unbelievable. Right. How are we doing the pros? I guess he wasn't what we thought he was going to be. We thought he was going to be the next Barry Sanders. He's a good player. Yeah, but in college, he was something special. Something special, right. Something special. But it's, it's funny when you watch that, though. I mean, just to get off topic a little bit, that people peak at different times in their lives, right? And that's really what it, the conundrum and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the nuance and science of like drafting NFL players or any player to a top level is to get them at the right time. Yep. You don't want them peaked because then they're not going to mature and they're not going to grow as you go. They might go up a little bit, but if you get that guy right in the good sweet spot and they're like just haven't gotten there yet and you're like, man, he's a talented dude and you can see that. Well, you, you also don't know how guys are going to make that leap psychologically. Like Reggie right. Bush, the theory was, just to get off topic for a second, but talk about like athlete psychology, Reggie Bush was a world-class athlete, still is. In college, you're not playing against world-class teams. The entire teams are not made up of guys who are going to be in the NFL. When you go to the NFL, everybody is at such at a high level. level right. It does something to your confidence when the things that worked before, the moves that worked before, your athletic attributes overcoming everything don't work. You can regress. You can lose confidence in yourself and in your game, and I think we saw that with uh, with Reggie. But back to being on point here, you know, that carrot and stick of floating the idea that you know we're giving you the platform to become famous, so you can become a pro athlete. That really rings hollow to me because the statistic is there's over nine thousand college football players nationally in Division One schools. From this pool, scouts will only choose three hundred and ten out of how many? From 9,000, so it's 3.5%. Oh. So 310 are drafted. That doesn't even mean that that doesn't even mean they end up playing on the team. And the average career lasts three seasons. Yeah. So even if you're lucky enough to be one of the few to play college football, you got a three. I mean, if you're a really good athlete, you know, maybe you're a high recruit, you got a better chance than that. But statistically, it's like a three to four percent chance of you being drafted. And then, even if you are drafted, your average career is three years. So you're pretty much guaranteed brain damage for a very, very minimal return on your money. I mean, 
I honestly wouldn't wouldn't let my kids play football. I played football for half a year, and I remember getting my bell rung, and I, after half a season, I was like, I'm going back to basketball. This shit ain't for me. And they interviewed Roger Goodell recently for the Super Bowl. You know, this is he's got to be the front man and play play that role. They said, would you let your son play football? It's like, of course I'd let my son play football. I played for nine years, and I wouldn't change it for the world. It taught me leadership and integrity and all the values that are important. Yeah. This would be like, you know, so does water polo. This would be like asking the president of Philip Morris, "Would you let your son smoke?" <laughs> and he goes, "Of course, I let my son smoke. I smoked all through high school, and it taught me the values and the taste." And the, the. It's like, yeah, it's easy to say that hypothetically speaking. Bring your kid out here and let me give him a concussion and see how you feel about it when you're, you know, taking care of his semi-lifeless corpse that's spasming on the ground in seizures. <laughs> Something will tell me your tone will change really quick. But it's a great hypothetical, you know what I mean? Guys are like, oh, I totally would. Well, you don't have a son and he isn't playing football. Well, I think we also have to get off the idea that, like, giving them a stipend would be paying these players. I mean, yeah, yeah, essentially you're paying the player, but it's not like they're they're they're, they're deducting a salary. They're not getting a salary from, from the school. It's like, you know, it would be a package that would be tied to the same scholarship. It, it would be the same requirements that are required of them now. Well, see, the school, it's all about money now. Schools are about making money. Of they're not about educating. They're not about taking care of the student-athletes. They're about making money. So the idea is, if we don't have to pay the athletes anything, that's more money we can invest in either the school or in the you know, administrative duties, the athletic director. We can hire a better coach. That million dollars we'd have to pay out to the football team? Well, what if we could pay our coach $3 million instead of $2 million? Maybe we could get that other coach who's really good. You know what I mean? Because he's going to want more money to jump schools. Yeah. So it all becomes about a primer of how can we keep the status quo? You know, they should play for the love of the game and nothing else. Like I said, the times are changing and we need to change with it. And I well, think when, when this movie Workhorses come out, it's really going to blow a lid on college sports. I'm expecting we're going to see a huge, huge backlash in college football, especially about the treatment of athletes and, you know, what they're given in compensation, don't you think? I think so. I, I do. I, I I really do. And especially um, the the guy who um, is actually doing the movie is a former athlete. Yep. He, he played football. Uh, his name was uh, Abram Booty. Uh, he is a former LSU wide receiver. And he's even saying that he's going to pull back the curtain on uh, college athletics and uh, and really give you a um, a real sense of what's going on there. And a lot of the things that we're talking about uh, are going to be uh, talked about in this movie and brought to light, um, you know, ranging from the compensation to healthcare, uh, player safety. And uh, basically, he said that uh, he started this because uh, one of the players, um, uh, what's his name? Jarrett, uh, Dwayne Jarrett, who caught 11 passes for 205 yards and two touchdowns and earned the MVP honors. Uh, at the uh, 2007 Rose Bowl, he said after the game, Booty noticed that Jarrett was walking down a dark street away from the stadium when Booty stopped and asked the Rose Bowl MVP where he was going. Jarrett said he was walking to McDonald's to eat because he didn't have money for a ride or a nicer meal. He said, in my mind, I could never forget that. I always wanted to do something about it, and I always felt this was tremendously unjust. That brought all the emotions back to me. Yeah, because... You know, if somebody gave him a hundred dollars or took him out to dinner, they'd be breaking the student athlete contract. Well, yeah, of, and reward, heard, of rewarding the guy for taking brain damage. I heard, yeah, I heard another story like where somebody's somebody's 
car got broken into and his books and like everything inside got stolen and he took like a hundred bucks or 500 bucks uh, to go buy new books and, mm -hmm. and get new clothes or something like this. And, uh, he got in trouble. He was investigated and got like suspended. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know who it was, but you guys can look up the story, but I, I know that I've, I've heard it and it, and it's factual. It's just like, you know, to some extent being willing to go to war when your kids aren't the ones being drafted, you know, it's so easy for the schools to just disregard the health of the athletes because they aren't their kids. You know, it's so easy for them to hide behind this veil of NCAA regulations. When they looked at it from a moral ethical position, they'd see that at the very least they have some commitment to the health and well-being of their athletes where, you know, if somebody has an injury, you don't give them a cortisone shot. You don't, you don't, you don't tell them wait till the end of the season to get your MRI. Right. You really come from the Hippocratic oath of, you know, winning isn't as important as you having a quality life, you know, like I'm going to ruin your, I'm going to ruin your life for some arbitrary football game so I can keep my job so the coach can get a raise, so the athletic director can get a raise, so the university president can get a raise. When it all becomes about the bottom line, there's always something lost in the process. And in this case, I think it's our morality and ethics. Well, yeah. And you know, for sure. I mean, winning money drives everything. I mean, the school needs to continue to exist and to continue to, uh, you know, be, va uh, be valid. Um, and what a better way to do that and be in the community and draw more students to it, and et cetera, et cetera, grow and how to do that. Well, we need to be on the world stage. We need to be on ESPN. They need to pay us millions of dollars for broadcasting rights to do things. And, uh, you know, the other thing that, that uh, um, Booty says in his article here uh, from the Huffington Post is, uh, there's nothing free about a uh, free education. They so put true. in 40 hours a week. So Blood, sweat, tears. There's nothing free about it already. So give them a stipend. Give them some money. Spot on. And take care of them. You know, that, that's truly what, what it's all about. And actually, uh, at the end of this, it talks about there's a high-profile lawsuit um, saying that the NCAA violated antitrust law by capping athletes' benefits at the value of a scholarship. Yep. So we're seeing some movement on this, and the NCAA is under real, uh, you know, scrutiny uh, for you know not changing with the times, like Devin says. You know, uh, there's a lot more money involved. There's a lot more things getting thrown around. There's a lot more weight placed on winning, and therefore there should be equal and adequate compensation to these guys uh, for doing so. You know, they've turned school athletics into a business, and in that case, then. Winning, it, winning is like making sales. Well, it's funny because it's like a, it's like a dichotomy, right? They turn it into a business, but they tell you it's for the love of the game and it's still amateur and this is school. But they're making $74 million a year and they're keeping 50% of it in profit. That's what I mean. They, they tell you that so they can exploit you. Right. They don't tell you that because it's the truth. Exactly. You right, know? not because it's the truth. Yeah. It's like, for well, sure. this is the way it is and this is the way it's always been. And if you change that, you're somehow undermining the values inherent in the rule that was created in the first place. Like, right. Yeah, that's weird, right? You know, I, I think that's like, like... we cling to this, like, figment of this, like, past, like, this structure that is totally hamstringing the opportunity of the, uh, you know, of these kids now. It's, it's, it's really hurting them now yeah. because it hasn't evolved. But we lean so much on this, like, institution. This is the way it is. And if you do this, then it's just as bad as taking performance-enhancing drugs. Like, something like that, right? If, we can, like amend, cheating, if or... we can amend the Constitution of the United States, why can't we amend the NCAA regulations? Exactly. Like, that's just crazy to me. Like, you know, the most important thing that defines the law of the land, everyone's <laughs> like, you know what? Times change. We need to be able to laws change with the times. So the Constitution, we should be able to make amendments. NCAA is like... 
Nope, we wrote this shit once. It's gonna be locked in stone. Boom. Put it in. Put it next to the Ten Commandments on stone in a plaque in an office where no one can touch it because Nobody we ain't changing paid. it. Nobody gets paid. So yeah, my my thoughts is just that it becomes really sad when winning at all costs permeates every layer of society. You right. know, from business to education. Because what happens is when you win at all costs, you lose yourself in the process. So it's a hollow victory. Yep. It's a hollow victory. You get some very, you know, they tend to be men who are white and older, getting a lot of money, and that's just the, the design of the situation. Those are the only people who come out on top. It's a very hollow victory as a society, as a culture. We don't because, really, like we you don't really said, gain anything. Because like you said... Out of nine thousand three hundred and ten kids go to the go even get drafted, right? And they're lucky if they play three. And they're lucky if they play for three years. We always talk about the entitled athlete. Well, the majority is not that. Yeah, and every one of those nine thousand, they have a dream of playing in the NFL, and they all generated revenue for a school. So they keep you chasing that carrot on a stick that's so far away, you never have a chance of biting it. But they tell you if you just work hard enough and try hard enough. We'll give you the platform where you have a chance to reach it, which you won't, Tommy. Another beautiful day, another beautiful podcast, Matt Walter. Any final thoughts? No final thoughts, really. I think that we just nailed it on this one. You know, well, I do have a final thought. We need to pay a stipend. They need to have, they need to have money to live on, and it should be proportional into the revenue generated and how much they contribute, how much their contrib- contribution is. To that, like you said, if you have an all-star quarterback, somebody like a Cam Newton uh, or a Jameis Winston or any of these other people, those guys are the guys that they're coming to see. Regardless if you believe or you try to try to tell people that it's not about the the player in the jersey, it's about the jersey. No, it's about the jersey. Yes, in the long term, but at that moment. It's about the player wearing the jersey. It's about the Christian Leitner of the world. It's about the Shaquille human being. Right? It's about the human being who's drawn, who's putting the butts in the seats. Listen, if you aren't winning and you don't have, then you don't have an all-star athlete. You don't have an all-star athlete. You don't have people coming in this in this dance, and that's just the way that it is. So I think that you should pay a stipend. I like the slush fund idea uh, for the the injury, medical injury bills, slush the injury, fund. injury slush fund. And I also like the escrow account. Uh, you know, if they do everything that they're supposed to do in the timeline, they're supposed to do it. Um, there's again, I bo- I agree with Booty here. There is nothing free about a free education, uh, and I also believe that, um, like you were saying, they always talk about a forty thousand dollar a year education or uh, this or that. Well, that's really not the cost of the education. We're talking about what it would be for a person to buy it at retail, not what it was the cost to produce that education. So again, um, the uh, Revenue generated is immense. Uh, the uh, risk that the students are putting them through is 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 hard is a lot, and also what they're doing with the double duties is uh, is is tough as well. Um, so for the majority, so those are my final thoughts. I think that uh, you know I think we're in agreement on, on this, and I think a lot of people around the country are also in agreement on this that uh, something does need to change. It needs to happen. You can't keep holding these guys hostage, uh, you know, and and claiming that. They should just be happy that they're getting an education at all. Yeah, I'll send you this uh, Loyola Law Review about it where it's really interesting and they kind of break down the different uh, economic aspects of how they see each of these uh, you know, type of fixes coming into play. And they are feasible. They are implementable. It's just like you have to get the administrators and the people in power to care. And the only way to do that is through public outcry. So I think when we see this movie next year, Workhorses, 
it might have the same effect of like you know the concussion movie recently yeah i mean like it's just something that's going to bring it to the public attention the public cares more there's a little more outcry and now the university is in a position where they don't want to be seen as the bad guys so they start taking a little bit more action to take care of the athletes like they should have in the first place exactly thanks Amen. again for the time matt i hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend ladies and gentlemen thank you as always we love you we'll be back again soon with another hot topic maybe bring an interview change the game there we go peace and love peace and love